Last Sunday, we made a pretty bold statement that having spiritual friendships is as important to your spiritual growth as studying the Word of God in prayer and worship. And I believe that. But sometimes it's not as quickly noticeable. Uh, Often a friendship over time just begins to mold you. It's like a trickle and a, a stream and then a river that eventually molds a great canyon. But it happens over thousands of years, almost unnoticeable. And often you're around a friend, and, and before long you begin, begin to, to think up, think the way they think. You, you begin to, to say some things that they would say, and you think, I would have never said that before, but I've hung out with so-and-so so much that it starts to come out of my mouth. For instance, we got a good illustration in front of this whole church. Dan Burgess, our great friend, has introduced us to this, this term, welcome home. And now everybody says welcome home. And when Stephanie comes home, I now say, welcome home. I mean, it's just, just a part of everything that we do. It just took some time to grade that in our mind. And so often friendships, you don't know it, but slowly but surely you go, you know, I'm becoming like this person. And then other times, friendship is more like a, a lightning strike that just comes down in your life and just quickly sort of changes everything. Listen to what the wise man said in Proverbs 27, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, the person you need to trust is the person that's willing in that moment to speak truth to you. And so it happens almost overnight. And that's what we're looking at today in the friendships we're going we're to study. We've got three people in our story today. We've got Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he's got two friendships in the story. One is with a guy named Onesimus, who has come to Rome, encountered Paul, and become a Christian. And he's a poor guy. And on the other hand is this rich guy named Philemon, who encountered Paul in Colossae, and Paul had led him to Christ. So we got these two friends. Now, it had to be a, a pretty crazy moment when Onesimus and Paul are talking And Onesimus begins to confess, I'm a runaway slave, and I actually ripped ripped off my master when I left. Okay, Paul says, yeah, okay, that's okay. Who was your master? Philemon. And Paul recognizes, man, I got a friendship between both of these guys. And so you got two friendships, and in between you've got this explosion. And the question of the book of Philemon is how is Paul going to navigate this? You see, let's make these points. Paul is testing the limit of his friendships. You ever had a friend come to you and say, you know, you're not going to like what I'm about to say. After I tell you this, you might not even want to be my friend, but I feel like i got to say it. That's what Paul is doing here. For Philemon... It's insane in his day for Paul to say, I want you to take back your runaway slave, and I want you to treat him not as a slave, but a brother, a friend. And that day, that was unheard of. In fact, what he could have done would be even execute Onesimus or put a big F on his forehead, not for failing, but for fugitive. He could have done that. Tony could have rejected him. 
And, and, and Philemon's probably like, Paul, how in the world? I mean, you're testing our friendship to ask me to do this. And then on the other hand, you've got Onesimus. I mean, you've escaped. You're in Rome. And this preacher says, I'd really like you to go back to your owner. I think if I'm Onesimus, I say, Paul, I really appreciate you, but I don't really want to be in your church anymore. I'm following everybody to the church of the mountains. I'm going to go and I'm going to be a part of that. So how in the world is Paul going to navigate this? Here's the challenge. Paul is testing not only the limit of his friendship, but the power of the gospel. You see, the gospel is an awesome thing to understand theologically. It's even more important to understand it relationally. How does this change my relationships? Now, here's what Paul is challenging. Paul is challenging our friendships to be shaped by the power of the gospel, not the pattern of the world. These two guys should never become friends. In fact, one of them probably shouldn't be alive. And yet the gospel says everything changes in light of what Jesus is going to do, has done for us. So if you have your Bible, your phone, go to the book of Philemon. It's a postcard letter between Titus and Hebrews. You might easily miss it. And, and this week has just it's come to mean so much to me. Because how, the question here is, how, how's Paul going to pull this off? How's he going to get this owner and this slave back together in a whole different kind of relationship? And this, this book is actually brilliant. It, it's very artful. It um, is very sensitive. It's very convicting all at the same time. Let's dig right into it. First verse, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, normally in Paul's letters, especially if he's going to tell somebody what to do, he would say, Paul, a what? An apostle. But Paul says, for this one, guys, I'm a prisoner. He says, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Thea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. More than likely, that's Philemon, his wife, and his son. And they host a house church in their home. And they're very good friends of Paul. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. And then he really begins to butter him up. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all I'm sure that's a key word. All his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Paul's saying this, guys. Here, Philemon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand even deeper everything the, the gospel means. I know you understand how to be saved. I know your life's been changed in some ways. But if, if we can get you to understand every good thing we have in Jesus, then this can change these relationships. And then he says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Don't you love that word refreshed? What, what, what a great description. Wouldn't you love someone to describe you that way? You've refreshed God's people. You've made things new. Anybody remember the old nest tea commercials? As soon as the guy drinks the tea, what happens? He falls back into this pool of water. And the commercial ends as nothing refreshes you like nest tea. That's what Philemon was like. You had a friend that way? 
I think of a, a Tim Lee in this church, and I think about him a lot because this is one of his favorite verses. Is he's always telling you go refresh somebody today. And I think, I don't know anybody who does a better job of that. I mean, whether you're one of the 1,012 people that gets a text message from every day, I mean, or you're one of the 25 people who thinks he, he's your best friend. I mean, it's just, he goes around refreshing people. And that's what Philemon was like. And then he begins to make his plea, okay? Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold, in order you to do what you ought to do, I've, I've got the authority to tell you what to do. I'm not pulling that card. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. If I'm Philemon, I'm going to say, go back to order me around. You ever had somebody say to you, maybe it's your spouse, mother say, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but if you really love me, I think you might do this. Okay? I mean, you go, oh, man, I, I'd, I'd rather the command than the, the, the appeal to love. And that's exactly what Paul does. He says, describing himself, it's none other than Paul. Remember me? An old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That I appeal to you, my son, in the faith, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in change. Formerly, he, used, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. This is a really beautiful play on words. The word Onesimus means useful. And Paul said, you know what? Maybe he wasn't too good of a servant. He's saying, back in the past, I know he was sort of useless to you. He actually did you wrong. But now, I believe he's actually going to be useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is, listen to this, my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me in the chains, in, in, in my chains for the gospel. But I do not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps, <laughs> I love this perhaps here. You ever heard someone say perhaps when they really didn't mean perhaps? <laughs> they, 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 you, you better do it, perhaps. I, I can remember years ago, we used to have two of our shepherds who worked here on staff with us, Tommy Weldon and Dick Thompson. And um, Dick Thompson was always the driving factor in this church. He always wanted things better. He never thought things were good enough. And so one Monday morning, we're meeting in my office. It's Mark Loudermilk, Dick Thompson, myself. And Dick is just critiquing the, the Sunday before. And he's just sort of you know, complaining about this and asking about this and just on and on and on. And so finally, I didn't know what to do. So I said, let's all get on the floor and pray together. So we all get on our knees and Dick's the first to pray. And this is his first line. Lord, perhaps I've been a little negative. <laughs> I could hear all of heaven, all the angels, all the Godhead say, perhaps <laughs> you've been negative. And Paul's saying, perhaps you might take Onesimus back in this way. Listen to what he says. Let's go back to that verse. He says, um, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Here, here's the key line in the whole book. No longer is a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. 
I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Boy, is that, is that taking the big guns out? Yeah, I'd really like you to do this, you know, and I, I would like you to pay, you know, I'm going to pay, pay you back, but I'd, I'd like you to give something to me because you do know that you owe your soul to me. <laughs> that's, that's pretty bold, okay? Keep reading. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Do you what you do best. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write, I didn't think he was asking him to obey. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. What an incredible letter. And what I want you to see as we go through this letter is that, that Paul is saying, here's what I want you to do, Philemon. I want you to see Onesimus, not through worldly eyes. I want you to see him through the eyes of the gospel. I want you to see this man through the prism of the cross, and that's going to change everything. So here's what we're learning from this great story. What do gospel-shaped friendships look like? You see, Jesus said the cross was not just about your salvation. It's about your lifestyle. Luke chapter 9, he says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The cross is a lifestyle, not just the point of our salvation. So what do gospel-shaped friendships look like? First of all, they're diverse. You see, what happened at the cross is I don't care what economic you are, what race, what ethnic background, at the foot of the cross, we're all on level ground. In fact, Paul says in another book, the cross tore down the dividing wall even between Jews and Gentiles, much worse than any wall we've got today. You see, our friendships must not reflect how the world picks friends. We've seen that for three weeks. Naomi and Ruth should not have been friends. David and Jonathan certainly should not have been friends. And neither should Philemon the master, and Onesimus, the slave. In fact, this is scandalous. Well, let's just stop for a little time out here, and let's address the elephant in the room in this passage. Onesimus is a slave, and Paul is sending him back to his owner. I don't know about you, but that makes me uncomfortable. What's going on here? First of all, you need to understand this. First century slavery was much different than 19th century American slavery. It was more like a contract in which you were paying someone back. It was not even always lifetime. You would work this long to free yourself. But we still got to recognize it's slavery. So is God okay with slavery? Is Paul okay with slavery? This is what I compared to. Back in the 50s here in Montgomery, Alabama, Rosa Parks refused to move seats in a bus. And that one little act of defiant was the flame that lit the dynamite that started the civil rights movement right here in our city. Now, listen to me. In that one moment, Rosa Parks did not completely destroy integration. But she lit the flame, the dynamite. And what I would say to you, it's in these kind of passages in the New Testament where they say everybody is equal. Don't bring him back and put him in the slave quarters. Bring him back and put him in your guest room. It's, it's the flame that lit the destruction of slavery. That's why in the um, 
1800s, who led the movement to free slaves? Christians. That's why in the 1950s and 60s, who was effective in leaving the civil rights movement? It was Christians. And that's why I'd say today, with all the racial tension in our country, we should be the most effective in bridging that gap. So he says, here you go. Don't treat him like a slave. Treat him as a, a dear brother. You see, when we live out the gospel, our friendships look different. We don't just choose people by do they look like me, act like me, think like me, come from the same background as me. Oh, we have some of those friends. But we also pick friends who are racially, economically diverse. And I love that that happens in this church. In our small groups, one of the coolest things is often we find ourselves in a small group with people we would have never been in a, in a group of friendships with otherwise. It, it just makes a difference. That's why I think one of the game changers of this church is our recovery ministry, RSVP. That diversified our church economically and racially. And it's been a powerful thing. I salute all of you guys. We've got some families here that are adopting children of different colors. You're leading the way. We've got people here in mixed marriages between two different races that actually you are living out the gospel in front of us. The gospel says there's equal ground on the foot of the cross. And so first of all, a gospel-shaped friendship can be diverse. But second, this is so important, it must be forgiving you see, that, that's why Christian friendships can last so much longer than worldly friendships, because we understand what it's like to forgive. Here's a great illustration from yesterday. All you Auburn folks have now forgiven Bo Nix. <laughs> After you talked about the kid like a dog for a week, now you have forgiven him, you know? I don't blame you. He is now back in the family. I mean, he's just... just <laughs> Sorry about that. But, you know, it happens. And guys, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says God reconciled us to himself. But then he says a step further. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only have we been reconciled to God, but we are the people on the earth who reconcile people with people. And why can we do this? Because God has forgiven you for far worse than you have to forgive anybody on this planet. And so forgiveness works. C.S. Lewis says, everyone says forgiveness is a wonderful idea until he has someone to forgive. And that's true. It's hard. But my friends, if a runaway slave and his master who's been ripped off by this slave can be reconciled as brothers, we can forgive. Number three, a gospel-shaped friendship is challenging Listen to me. The cross does not say that sin's okay. Sometimes we, we, we abuse the grace of the gospel. Because the cross says sin is not okay. How does it say that, buddy? What put Jesus through this torture? It was your sin and my sin. And so cross-shaped relationships don't say, hey, go ahead, it doesn't matter what you do, you're saved by grace. No, cross-shaped relationships say, gospel-shaped relationships say, you need to be challenged. Christianity is not out to help a man escape his past and run away from it. It is out to enable him to face his past and to rise above it. That's what Onesimus is doing. Can I ask you just a moment here? 
Do you have a friend like that? You have a friend who prods you when you're going the wrong direction? Who pushes when you when you need to be pushed? When you need to forgive someone, they challenge you to forgive? When you need to face your own prejudice, they challenge you to do that? When you need to befriend someone not like you? When you need to be challenged about your walk with God and how close you are? When you need to get rid of some bad habits, they're gutsy enough in the friendship to test the limits and say, this habit of yours is not Christ-like. Or they can challenge you to live out the gospel freely. That's what this is all about. Number four, quickly, it's sacrificial. Guys, listen to me. We look at the cross as something beautiful to decorate our building or to put around your neck. The cross is not a safe symbol. It's just not. The cross is a symbol of death. And when Jesus tells us to take up our cross, he's not saying you be the same old selfish person you grew up to be. He's saying, you, buddy, need to die to your own selfishness. So here's the cool thing about gospel-shaped friendships. They're sacrificial for each other. You know, one thing we see in this story that's come up in every lesson is that real friendships are reciprocal. It's not one person doing all the phone calling, one person doing all the texting, one person at lunch asking all the questions. Friendships that are gospel-shaped are reciprocal. Paul's saying basically to Philemon, hey, I've been really good to you. Would you be good back to me? And guys, that's the challenge of sacrificial relationships. You see, some of us don't have great friendships because And I can be this way. I'm so set on my agenda and doing what I want to do that to help you means I've got to interrupt my schedule. I remember, and Stephanie, I got to eat dinner with them this week, uh, our best couple friend in Tuscaloosa, Wayne and Kelly Walden. Kelly actually worked with me in the campus ministry. Wayne was a great guy. that, That was our hangout friends, you know. That's who we went out to eat to dinner with on Friday nights. And they were in Birmingham this week, and we were in Birmingham, so we got to get together and, and eat dinner together. And it was so awesome. It brought back such a flood of memories. I can remember a time in our life where we were going through a really tough time and a, a really tough time even in our marriage. And, you know, we, we, we stay up late. And um, Wayne and Kelly would come to our house every night at 10 o'clock for weeks. Not necessary to say something but just to sit there with us. Because that's the kind of sacrificial friendships we're talking about here. And then number five, not only are these friendships sacrificial, but obviously they're loving. Because as Christians, we are the most loving people on the earth. And here's what I think we've learned from all three stories the last few weeks, is we need to express it. You know, the love that, that Ruth expressed to Naomi, we use in a wedding ceremony. The love that Jonathan and David expressed to each other, we're almost too comfortable to talk about it. And this love again here is so expressive. Just listen to some of the things that Paul said to his friends. You are dear friends. I always thank God every time I think about you. My son, you are dear to me. Your love has given me great joy. Guys, if you want to have a great friendship, there's going to have to be some way, on some level, some kind of expression of appreciation and love. And then finally, here's the point we're trying to make today. These kind of friendships are transformative. They change us. 
Not only will I start saying, you know what? I'm a whole lot more like Doug. I'm going to say, you know, I've been in this friendship long enough. I'm a whole lot more like Jesus. I treat people different. I act different. My priorities are different. And so that's what we're learning from these guys is to have a gospel-shaped friendship. So right now, I want us to think about this a little bit deeper. We come to the point in our assembly, our gathering, where we're going to take communion together. If you're new with us, we take communion every Sunday. If you've not gotten your communion supplies, they're down here. They're in tables across the worship center. Feel free right now to get up and get those. Because this is the moment that we know in communion, we focus on one word. And that is for us to remember what Jesus did for us. But listen to me. I think if you look a little bit deeper, you'll see that this is not just a moment for us to remember. It's a moment for us to be transformed. You see, the cross is not just going, wow, isn't it cool that I'm saved? It's like I'm spending enough special time with Jesus, including right now, that slowly but surely, through the grace of God, I become like him. And because he has treated me in ways I never, ever deserved, that can flow over my friendships and my marriage and our church. We're going to be able to do that. It's like if you were over in Afghanistan fighting. And um, it was miserable and it was hot. And you really didn't want to be there. But your best friend somehow went at the same time you went. And you ended up in the same platoon. And though it's miserable, if they're in dangerous, you're, you're, you're fighting together and you're there together. You even share a tent. And one day you're out walking down one of those roads and, and you sort of get diverted and you're not paying attention. And, and you're starting to go closer, what your friend sees, to a landmine. He, he knows where the mine is. And he sees you just drifting over there, and you're almost there. And before you can get there, your friend runs in front of you and throws himself on that landmine. And he dies. Now imagine with me for a moment. He comes back to life. He shows up in your tent. What are you going to do? Um, hold on a minute. Hold on. Glad, glad you're back, but uh, I'm on Facebook right now. Let me, let me, let me get to you in a minute. Um, you know, uh, there's your bunk. Nobody's taking your place. You're going to be okay. Oh, no, 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 no. You are going to jump up. You're going to run to the edge of that tent. You're going to embrace him. You're going to thank him. You're going to say, I don't care what you need the rest of your life. All you've got to do is call on me. I'll do anything because you gave everything for me. And my friends, that's exactly what Jesus has done for you. But in the midst of you going, Jesus, I'll do anything for you for what you've done for me. It's also going to impact your relationships around you. When you've met a friend like this, you go, hey, this is actually the way you treat people in Christ. This is what the gospel means. And so, guys, as you take communion today... Think about these six things up here. Think about how Jesus has demonstrated every one of those. And allow it to sink deep enough 
So that as Paul said to Nesimus, you'll understand every good thing we have in the gospel. And that's going to mean your friendships, your marriage, your relationships with your children, everybody. It's going to look much different. Let's pray together and then let's commune together. Father, we, we just thank you. We just got to stop right now and, and say to you, Jesus, whatever you want, whatever you would like to ask for us, after you've done this for us and resurrected from the dead and show back up on our doorstep, Jesus, we're yours. We can't help but respond to this kind of love and grace by saying, we'll do whatever you ask us to do. And Father, help us to understand as we dive deep and contemplate the gospel, Lord, that not only will that mean that we treat Jesus different, but it will mean we treat others different. And we're going to have friendships in the church that don't look like worldly friendships. Lord, it's at the table that we remember all these things. And we celebrate and praise God. We're transformed. We're changed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise Him, praise Him forevermore. Please be seated just for a moment. You know, what we're encountering today is the power of the gospel. Uh, And the gospel is just another word for for good news. What is the gospel? It's so simple. That's one reason I love teaching Landmark 101, because the whole theme of the day is death, burial, and resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection. That's the good news. What's the good news? The good news is when you and I were messed up and sinful and selfish, God came after us. He pursued us when we were yet sinners. And Jesus came to this earth to meet us and to lift us up and to live a perfect life. And the end of that life, because he was perfect, he gave himself in our place on the cross. And three days later, he resurrected so that each one of us can have life. Here's the bottom line of the gospel. Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourself. Romans 1.16, Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. Breaks down these walls. First to the Jews and then the Gentiles. You know, the word there for, for power is dynamos in the Greek. It's the word that we get dynamite. And my friends, when the gospel gets into your heart, it's like dynamite. It's like that lightning strike we talked about earlier. If you really get it, it changes you, and it begins to change you from the inside out. And so today, if you're not following Jesus, and you'd like to follow Jesus, then you're ready to be baptized. What what makes baptism so important is, again, it's death, burial, resurrection. It's meeting Jesus there. Today, if you'd like to do that and leave this place a new person, then please come. Or maybe the gospel hadn't gone deep enough. You're excited about your salvation, but it's not changed the way you treat people. It's not gone deep enough for you to maybe forgive some people you need to forgive. I know that's hard. Or to love some people you don't naturally love. To reach out in places you don't naturally reach out. Then today's the day for you to do something about that. Now, there's one problem with this letter of Philemon. And and maybe you noticed it. We don't know the conclusion. We really don't know if Philemon accepted Onesimus back or killed him. But there are some historical records that give us some hope. There was an early preacher and writer named Ignatius who traveled Asia Minor just a little bit after this time. 
And he wasn't inspired, but he wrote letters to different churches. And one of his letters, he's writing the church at Ephesus. And this is what he says. I want to salute one of your shepherds, Onesimus. Onesimus. And literally, he does the same play on words in his book that Paul did in Philemon. He says, he is Onesimus by name and nature, the useful one to Christ. Isn't that awesome? This runaway thief, slave, ends up being an elder in the early church. Because that's how this world was changed. That's how we can be changed. The gospel could meet a rich landowner in Colossae and make him change the way he treated people. And the gospel can meet a runaway slave in Rome in a room where Paul is chained and changed his life. And the gospel is powerful enough to bring them together. And here's what I want you to know this morning. The gospel is powerful enough to meet you right now in your pew and change you. I'm telling you, there will be nothing else that's going to make sense of life. And so today, if you need the prayers of this church, if you need the gospel to go deeper, if you need help on forgiveness, if, if, you, if you've been thinking the last three weeks, I don't have a lot of friends, and you're going, well, he should do better, and she should do, maybe today's the day to go, you know what? Am I a gospel-shaped friend? I need to change. We've got a great God. We have an amazing good news. We've seen an amazing story. It could be your story this morning. Why don't you come right now as we stand and sing?